you may not know this about me, but I used to be a runner. I used to run uh, four to eight miles each day. And um, this is decades ago. Decades ago, uh, I started having some problems. I had some problems with my, my uh, feet and my, my ankles and my knees. Uh, you probably, you're going to say old age. You say that, get out of here. Anyway, so, but anyway, but the deal is, is that it's starting to have problems with it. So, I, you know, I went to the doctor. I went to more than one doctor, in fact, and I said, I want to run. And uh, I wanted you to fix me. You know, you, you know how you go to the doctor, you think they're going to fix you every time, you know. Go to the doctor and say, fix me. And uh, finally, I went to this doctor. And this, like I said, this is decades ago. And he said, you need, a, you need to get a bicycle. I said, I don't want to get a bicycle. I said, I want to run. I enjoy running. I like to get out and run. It's, you know, it's free. I just run. And he, and he said, no. He said, you need to get a bicycle. I said, I don't want to run. I don't want to run. I want to, I mean, I don't, I want to run. I don't want to ride a bicycle. He said, you need to get a bicycle. I said, I've had bicycles in the past. I don't want a bicycle. He said, you don't understand me. You need to get a bicycle. And finally I said, okay. So I bought one on eBay. You know that there's a lot of good bicycles on eBay. And the reason is people buy bicycles, but they don't ride them. And eventually they sell them on eBay. And so I got a decent bicycle. I rode it about 1,200 miles. And I was, you know, and what I was doing is I was a runner who was riding a bicycle. I can tell you there's a whole different set of muscles and everything else when you're, when you're, you're uh, riding a bicycle. So I was a runner that was riding a bicycle. And I rode another, I don't know how many thousands of miles that I rode, rode in a road bike. Road bikes are those with the little skinny tires. And I rode and rode and rode and rode. And, and then when I got here, I started riding to work, not on a road bike, but on, on a hybrid. I've been doing, in fact, I've already worn out a couple of bicycles since I've been here uh, because of that. Today, I'm a cyclist and not a runner. Do you understand the difference? You know, what happens to us when we first get saved? We've got the waves of the world still around us. In every way, the way of the world is there. And the way of the world says that if you've got to have all your physical pleasures, you've got to have pride, I mean, and you've got to have possessions, you've got to have money, you've got to have fame. Those are the things of the world. And what we are originally doing is we're saying, okay, we're going to reject those things. And what we're going to do is we're going to act in a different way. But the truth is, we are a people that maybe we've given our hearts to Jesus. But we're still people of the world because that seems so natural to us. And what we're doing is unnatural. We're saying, uh, you know what? These physical pleasures aren't the most important thing in my life. These possessions and this money isn't the most important thing in my life. This pride and this fame is not the most important thing in my life. And what happens is, is that we become people who are truly a people after God's own heart. That's what happens. In you know what happens, though, after that, when we first begin that, we start that? We start drifting. And you know what we start drifting toward? We drift back toward the world. And we drift back to the world so much that what happens is we remember the days that we were so excited about being a Christian and going to church. And now we drifted over here and it's not exciting anymore. And, and, and people will tell you, sometimes they'll even say this, you know what? That exuberance that you felt just fades it just fades over time. You know, that's a bunch of baloney. That's what the world is telling people. 
The truth is that if we are believers and we actually are believers after God's own heart, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to grow in the Lord. And we're going to remember all the time that when we tasted the Lord, when we experienced the Lord, you know, when we first came to know the Lord, we experienced him in such a way that we remember he tastes great. He is wonderful in, in our lives. And we start seeing that, that change that happens. And so what, what happens to us is that we fade away. We fade away in this. So I ask you first, do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what it was like when it was so exciting just to come to church, to be with God's people, to, to pray, to read your Bible? And it started to fade away. So what does Peter say about that? How do we get that back in our lives? He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Let's just stop right there. So what do we need to do to restore the relationship that we once had? Well, one of the things that happens to us that, I mean, I don't care who you are, you're going to find people in your life that are going to sometimes, they're going to hurt you, they're going to, they're going to do things in your life. And so that you are going to have a problem with that person. And when you have a problem with that person, you know what happens to us? We have a problem with God. And I know that lots of people say, I still go to church. I still read my Bible. I still, uh, I still serve in the church. I deal all of that kind of stuff. But what happens to us is, is that when we have a problem with somebody else, we have a problem with God. Because you cannot love God with all your heart and not love other people with all your heart as well. And so our faith is growing cold in this. So Peter tells us that what we need to do is put away all the malice and all the deceit and all the hypocrisy and the envy and and all the slander that is there. And we need to, this is what he's saying, remove the offense to the Lord. You've got a problem with somebody else, remove the offense to the Lord. And that word there for put away is a word that means take the filthy garment completely off. Just think of that way. Think of you've got something that is filthy that is on you. And it's, a, it's, just, a, anyway, it's just hanging on you. It's filthy rags. And saying, take that garment off. Dude, it means to be done with. <clears throat> it offends the Lord when you do this. And what happens to us is, is that we get separated from God. And what we find is our love for him has grown cold in one way because of the, you know, it's going to be because, it's going to be because of the physical pleasures, out of line physical pleasures, out of line spending and, and possessions and, and uh, trying to get money. That's out of line. I'm not talking about, you, those things are good if they're kept within the parameters of what God wants you to do, but they're bad when they come outside of those parameters. And when you get outside of the, the fame or the pride that you should, you should have pride when you do a good job. That would be something that you do. But what happens is, is that when we start lording it over other people and those kinds of things, then what happens is we get a, we, we put a wedge between us and the Lord. And, and it starts to affect our, or it does affect our relationships with other people. Now think of this. He says, put this garment, this filthy garment off. Now, let's say you had a lover that wasn't your spouse. Do you think that you could go to your spouse and say, We'll cut back on our liaisons and things are going to be just perfect then, right? No, you wouldn't. What would you say? Get rid of that other person. 
You take that garment completely off. You don't want that in your life. And so the Lord wants our relationship with him to be restored. And often the reason behind this is our relationships with other people. It isn't the God who put a wedge between you and him. It is you that have put a wedge between you and him. You see, he wants to have this great relationship. Now, I'll tell you, lots of people talk a good game. Here's what we'll say. I'll hear people say this all the time. Oh, but you've got to know this person knows the scriptures. They come to the prayer meeting. Sometimes they even fast. They tithe. They serve. You know, it's all a facade when your relationships with other people are broken. It's just a facade. It's one of the reasons I think that people look at Christians and say, I don't want to be one, is because we're such hypocrites And the fact that we we say, oh, yes, we love God, but we don't love other people. And we're not trying to get a a good relationship with those other people. They're talking a good game. Our relationships are often damaged by a root of bitterness that comes out from an unforgiven offense. Now, explain this to you. Something serious has hurt you. It could be a divorce could be a betrayal that is, that is there. Something like that, a betrayal, a divorce. Could be a parent that told you you weren't any good at anything and continued to tell you that. It could be that you had a friend, that friend that, that you thought would, you know, would do anything for you, but when you needed that friend, that friend wouldn't step up to help you at all. In fact, that friend jumped in with the other people that were making fun of you. It could be a lot of things in your life. And what happened to you was, instead of dealing with that, you know what you did? You buried it inside yourself. You know, what you did was you planted that root. You planted that root so it would grow up. Hebrews talks of it this way. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It says there, as far as it depends upon us, we should strive for peace and holiness. Now here's the hard part, folks. If you want to have holiness and peace, And you want to do it in the way that Jesus told you to do it. You know what you're supposed to do for that person. Maybe that they've hurt you and they've hurt you deeply. You are to pray for them. You're praying for them. They have made themselves your enemy when they have acted against you. When they have done something to you in this. And so you pray for them. What about the person on the other side? Maybe you've done something that's hurt them. And you go to them and you say, will you please forgive me? And they say no. You see, that's the problem that you have. You say, as much as it depends upon you, you will go to them and they'll say, well, again, what do you do? You pray for them. Because here's the thing. You're not going to be able to give the grace of God to other people if you're not living a life of grace. You hear what I'm saying? You've got to live the life of grace. Or you're not going to give it to other people. It's not, it's not going to happen. And so many people miss the grace of God. So many people do not hear the word of God. Do not, do not realize who Jesus is because they do not see the grace in us in giving grace. You see, a root of bitterness 
It comes out in other places. That root has been planted and it can come out in all kinds of your relationships. And you may not even know that it's there. It is the filthy rag that you're wearing. It's not who you are, but it is the filthy rag that you are wearing. You don't need to wear filthy rags. You are royalty because you're a child of the very most high king, God himself. You're a child of God. Understand, you do not, you do not need to wear these filthy rags. I'm reminded of the the story of the prince and the pauper by Mark Twain. In that story, there's there's two young boys, and one of them is Edward Tudor, and the other one's Tom Canty. Edward Tudor is a prince, and Tom Canty is a pauper. These two boys look exactly alike. In fact, they even have the same birthdays. You realize that? They have the same birthdays. And what they decide to do is, why don't we swap clothes so I can see what it's like to be a pauper and walk amongst the people, and you can see what it's like to be prince. And what happens while they've got their clothes swapped like this? The king dies. Now, who gets to be king after (laughs) the king dies? The prince. And the problem here is you've got Tom Canty wearing these royal clothes. And you've got Edward Tudor wearing these clothes of a pauper. You see, clothes don't make you who you are. I don't care what you read about this. But they can certainly keep you from being who you are. And that's what happened in this story. Let me tell it to you again. You are God's precious creation, purchased by the blood of his son. That's how important you are. Don't act like you're a pauper. Establish the character of the one who belongs to the Lord. It says in this, in this verse here, it says three times it uses the word all, all. When, you know, it says remove all malice, all deceit, and all slander. And understand this. When you say all, what do you leave out? Nothing, nothing. Remove all of it that is there. Nothing must be left out. It doesn't mean that you're going to tolerate some of it. It is, when you take this garment off, take it completely off. Throw it away. He says, remove the malice in your life. That word means ill will. It is the hope that others will not succeed. It is a hope that they're going to get what is due in your eyes. You said, I hope they get what there's due to them someday. And you're hoping bad things in that. It doesn't seek grace for them. It seeks condemnation. In removing this, this ill will means that you're going to love them. You're going to pray for them. You're going to truly hope they have success. They're, you're going to hope that they grow in the Lord. You're going to hope that they're healthy. And you're going to hope that they have wonderful lives and everything they need in every way. That's what you need to do. So when I was in... Brentwood Baptist Church. There was a lady there named Florianne Lawton. She passed away last year. But uh, she was the sweetest lady you ever seen. She never married. But she worked, in, uh, she worked for Lifeway, but she also worked in our, in our uh, preschool. Uh, we called it our nursery, at least back then, because she took the babies. And Florianne was such an individual that she just looked at the God, She just exuded God's grace. You don't realize it just exuded God's grace. I went to visit her in the hospital because she had pneumonia. And you know what she was telling me? It is so, I am so glad that I got pneumonia now because I had some things to do afterwards. I said, Floriana, I probably would have been happy if I never got pneumonia at all is what I thought. 
But she was having the grace. She was just seeing the grace of God all around her. I remember uh, these people that I knew that became my friends. Their first visit to the church, what she would do, and she would receive these babies. They brought their, uh, their son. And, you know, he was, he was less than a year old. I mean, he was probably only six months old or so. She brought him to church, and they bring him by the nursery. And she, would, she took him in her arms, and she just sang to the little boy. Says, he says, oh, uh, Matthew, it's good to have you here with us today. Whatever, she'd make up the words, and she would sing these songs. And I remember that this couple, this couple, he's real tall, and she was real short. And I remember that she turned to her husband right there while Florian was taking their child and said, we're joining this church today. He said, yes, ma'am. And they did. They joined the church. And what was the reason behind this? Because the grace of God was coming out everywhere in this lady. You see, a lot of people don't exhibit the grace of God anywhere. And they still call themselves Christians and all of this. So... We need to also remove the deceit from your life. Deceit is to trick, to pretend, to appear, to be a friend when you aren't a friend. To act with benevolence when actually really you're just setting people up for treachery. It is bad intent in your actions. You probably know that I I watch children's movies. My wife makes fun of me sometimes because I know the movies as much as my granddaughters who are four and two. I know their movies. You know what I'm saying? Because I watch these movies. They're, they're pretty decent movies. Well, one of the ones that my older granddaughter likes, my oldest granddaughter, I should say, she's four. She loves Frozen. And maybe you didn't watch Frozen, but I watched Frozen. I watched Frozen before I had the granddaughters to watch Frozen because I like the story. In that story, there's a, is these two sisters. There's Elsa and Anna. And Elsa is, has got this power to turn things into ice. And, and she doesn't want to let people know that she has this power because she's really afraid it will get out. And so she tries to hide it. Her parents pass away in a shipwreck. And they live in the castle. There's these two girls without, you know, without parents for a period of time until Elsa is old enough to become the queen. When she's going to become queen, they have a coronation and inviting people to the coronation. They invite people from all over. And one of these people is Prince Hans of the Southern Isles. And Prince Hans looks like the greatest guy you'd ever see. I mean, he is the thing that the, the kingdom really needs. And he starts to woo Anna, the, the younger uh, sister. And so he woos her and everybody thinks, oh, you know, Prince Hans is just exactly what we need. Unbeknownst to everybody, even in the story, you don't know what Prince Hans is doing. He's maneuvering himself so that one time he will become king. It was all deceit, all deceit. That's what happens when people and they have the deceit in their lives. They're submarining other people. They, are, they look good on the outside, but they'll let you make a mistake even though they see that you're going to make a mistake. They will not warn you. They will see the hole in front of you, but they will not tell you there's a hole in front of you you're about to step into. They may be playing a joke on you at your expense and all the time pretending, I'm your real friend. I'm your real friend. Root of bitterness can come out of that because there's a betrayal that goes in there. It says also remove the hypocrisy. Now, now this is um, taking this word in the context. It's talking about hurting other people. It goes very well with deceit. You can understand that. You see, it's representing yourself as something that you aren't. It's 
in context, it's, having, it's part of the plot to hurt people. Hypocrisy. Remove the envy. Envy is wanting what another person has. It comes sometimes from that bitterness. You didn't get it. They shouldn't have it either. I didn't grow up with that. They don't need it either. And it may even cause the bitterness as well. It often causes problems even when you, when you do get something, you brag about it. You show off on other people. There is no peace in the envious person. That emotion of, of envy can, can actually lead to malice and deceit. Some of these others are even hypocrisy is often accompanied with it. You see, it's showing that pleasant face even though you really want what that other person has. And you'd like to even take it from them. Years ago when I was a staff member on a church, I, I asked God if he would make me a senior pastor so I could preach. I wanted to preach so badly. And you know the story. I, I prayed for eight years and three months before God gave me a release to actually do this. I mean, he said, he told me up front, I want you to preach. But he let me go for eight years and three months. And I'll tell you what, I was so guilty of envy. I kept thinking, I'm better than that person at that church. He's the pastor and I can't be the pastor. I'm, I'm, I, I've got better education than that guy over there. And I, 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 I could preach better than him. That was a bunch of baloney to tell you the truth. And I didn't know how inadequate I was. I didn't know why God let me go for eight years and three months before this happened until about a month after I did actually become a pastor. And then I realized how inadequate I was. And I realized that God really knew what he was doing by making me wait. And I realized all of that. And I still realize it today. I still realize how inadequate that I am. But you see, envy was controlling me in all of that. Remove, it says, all evil speaking. That word that is translated as slander in this verse is actually, that's what it means. It doesn't mean uh, just to slander. Slander is a lie to hurt them. It can be anything in order to say evil things about people. It can, it's to talk down to a person. It is put that person down. Slander is a lie, and it tells, you know, to hurt somebody. But it can be more than that. It could be that you, when you tell the story about them, you, don't, you leave some part out. It's the same thing where you say, you know, the boss came in sober today. boss comes in sober every day, but you don't say that, do you? You say the things in such a way that you lead other people to believe things about that individual. Now, on the other side of this, gossip is telling the truth in order to hurt people. Do you understand the difference there? Gossip is telling the truth in order to hurt people. There's a difference uh, in this. You, slanders tell a lie to hurt somebody. Gossip is telling the truth. And so many people say, well, I was just telling the truth. Well, let me tell you this, folks. If you say of a woman, she's from a poor family and she dresses like a homeless person. You know what? You may be accurate in what you're saying, but it's hurtful. That's gossip when you talk like that. So you just take this garment off. But you've got you to clothe yourself with something. That's where we get verse 2 here. It says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. 
Now, I did a really poor job of translating this. I put it in here, got up this morning, read my Greek Bible, and I said, what moron translated this? You know what PSV stands for, don't you? Printed Standard Version. I should have Printed Standard Deviation. I'm going to change that to a D. Because it says, just like newborn babes, you've got it there, desire intensely the reasonable milk of the word that by it you may grow in salvation. That's really what you, you correct my little uh, thing there as, as you go along. Uh, what it says here is crave the milk of God's word. That word is for, that they translated um, spiritual is logicon. Where do you get the word logic? You get it and logical? You understand that word. Okay. But it means also spiritual. And that's because spiritual is logical. And I know that people don't think that, but it is that. And so the context of this is that they're speaking obviously of God's word. It pours life into our lives. It is the pure milk of the word that should be long word. It is the, the word for pure is the same word as that word deceit, you know, that we had up there as uh, dulon. And they put a adulon. Adulon means no deceit. Dulon means deceit. And so what it means, it's pure, pure with no deceit, no deception in there whatsoever. And so we see that the word of God has it, it's pure to us. And you know, uh, the, if, you, if you've ever tried to take care of a, a baby, well, the nursing mom is gone. And that child gets hungry. I want to tell you what this word crave actually means here, to crave this word. I'll tell you what you do, and I can tell you this from experience. When that child starts screaming, what does that child want? Wants that milk. Mama. And nothing in the world will substitute. You cannot. I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll take that child. You will, you will you'll rock that child. You'll walk that child. You'll bounce that child on your knee. And when none of that works, you will pray for mama to come home. I'll tell you what happens. Yeah, that's right. It's the truth. It is absolutely the truth. And you guys know this if you've ever done this. See, that's the kind of craving that we should have for God's Word. We should have that craving. See, God's Word, it's the work of the Spirit to crave the pure milk of God's Word. The Spirit wrote God's Word. Do you understand that? It says it is God-breathed or Spirit-breathed. And that's how the Word of God came about. And the Spirit didn't have the Word written down for us so that we could just ignore it. You see, the Spirit had the Word written down so that we would receive it. And I didn't say just read it. Because people filled with the Spirit crave God's Word. People not filled with the Spirit are bored with God's Word. And they might be polite about it, but they're still bored with God's Word. It's no more than news to them. You know, we had this homeless guy got saved in one of the churches that I was in. And I didn't even think of, uh, he came in drunk. I'm just telling you, he was inebriated. They shared the gospel with him. He trusted in Christ. And I said, this is worthless. He won't even remember it when he comes out of this drunk. I mean, after he sobers up. And so what happened was he got saved. I mean, really saved. I really didn't believe it was possible, but he got saved. And what he did was he, he started coming to church. We, we got him a job. He was one of the hardest workers we'd ever seen. 
was incredible in this. And so his life, he was a former homeless person. He was not a homeless person anymore. He was a former homeless person who was now, he was coming to, uh, to our church. And, and I remember a Sunday school teacher one time. The Sunday school teacher was, got to the point where they were, they were ending their, the time of the lesson. He says, it's getting a little late. I need to stop right now. And I remember he said, don't stop. Please don't stop. He wanted to hear God's word continue on that. That's a crave God's word. The received word of God opens our eyes to the presence of God. You hear his voice speaking to you. You know his will. You respond in commitment and service and sacrifice. And your relationship with him gets deeper and richer and more vital. And you don't even have to be told to read God's word. You do it so that you'll receive it. Why? Well, let's go to this last verse we're going to deal with. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Because, he says, you have tasted that the Lord is good or kind. Realize this. You see, this is not something you can just hear about. Taste is something that is experienced. You can talk to people about something and says, well, let me tell you how good this tastes. And you know what they'll say? Sounds like it tastes good. But do you taste things with your ears? No, you taste them with your tongue. And how does that happen? Because you have experienced it, not because you have talked about it. Too many people are just saying sometimes sounds good, but doesn't taste good. Now, near San Marcos, Texas, near Austin, San Antonio, there's a little town called Lockhart, Texas has 14,379 people. I looked that up on the internet as of the 2020 census. So it's not a big place. It is called the barbecue capital of Texas. And in there, there are three barbecue places. There's Black's Barbecue, Smitty's Market, and Kreitz. They are within walking distance of each other. In fact, people call it the Trinity Tour if you go there. You go to these three bar- uh, barbecue places. And by the way, folks, if you go to Kreitz and you ask for barbecue sauce, I won't tell you what happens. It's not good. But what happens is people drive for miles and miles to get barbecue from there. Why? Because it tastes good. It tastes good. That's why. And when I realize that what happens when people crave the word of God, they'll drive to hear God's word. When somebody craves the word of God, they'll brave the rain to hear God's word. When they crave God's word, they'll change their schedules. They'll get up early and so they can have a quiet time in the morning and read God's word. They'll change their schedule and go to bed early so that they can be ready for church the next day. You see, when, per- when a person craves God's word, they will dig into it, find the nuggets of gold that are there like a, like a prospector going out and searching for it. But you must receive the word in order to taste it. Food is received through the mouth. But God's word is received in the heart. That's where it's received. It is received because the Holy Spirit brings it to you. It is received because you've opened your heart and you can't resist and receive it. And so I ask you, are you receiving God's word? Not are you hearing it, not are you reading it, but are you receiving it? Are you becoming what that word says rather than being something and acting like this. 
Psalm 3730 says, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. I have one question for you. Do you, do you crave God's word?